So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the basic principles of this world rather than on Christ. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the written code with its regulations that was against us, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Therefore, don't let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink, or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. Don't let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you for the prize. Such a person goes into great detail about what he's seen. His unspiritual mind puffs him up with idle notions. He's lost connection with the head from whom the whole body, supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews, grows as God causes it to grow. Since you died with Christ to the basic principles of this world, why, as though you still belong to it, do you submit to its rules? Don't handle, don't taste, don't touch. These are all destined to perish with use because they're based on human commands and teaching. Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. Bit of a a mouthful, that, isn't it? There's quite a lot going on there. If you had to pick a word to summarize really what Paul is talking about, the topic, what would it be? If you had to pick one word. People are looking lost. <laughs> don't worry, don't panic. Uh, I've picked freedom. This, these verses are about freedom, okay? That's what I think. And uh, so as we think about freedom this morning, I want to ask you, um, how free are you feeling in your life at the moment? Would you describe yourself as a free person? Do you, uh, on a scale of 1 to 10, if 10's really free and just going with it, you know, where are you on that scale? Uh, are you free? It's a real issue for us as human beings, isn't it, Uh, our freedom? Uh, uh, You see that in history, but you see it today in our own lives. Hands up, who wants to be enslaved? Who wants to lose their freedom? We we, we all want to be free, don't we? And uh, all sorts of things rob us of our freedom. And uh, I'm thinking like uh, what people think, fear of what people think. We start behaving differently. Or emotional patterns uh, of negativity rob us of our freedom. Or addictions and uh, things that we can't stop, which we wish we could stop, rob us of our freedom. Or uh, unhealthy patterns of relating rob us of our freedom. And and often as people, we can end up feeling uh, less free than we would like to. And uh, I have to say, I haven't been a Christian uh, all my life. I wasn't brought up in a Christian family. But I remember I was working as a corporate lawyer in London. And 
I, I, I was earning lots of money, living in Chelsea, partying hard, but I was just thinking, I don't feel free. And someone said, do you want to come to church? I thought, not really, but I'll go. And uh, so I went to church, and basically, this guy, the first talk I heard was about freedom. And this person stood up and said, you know, I know this sounds strange, but if you want to be free, come into a relationship with Jesus Christ. He will set you free, and uh, he'll give you a whole new start in life. And uh, you have this opportunity to live life very, very differently. And I thought, wow, I want some of that. And so that's what I want to think about this morning. See, when we come to Christ, we start this whole new thing. We're a new creation. We start this whole new way of life. We're, it's like a new birth, like Milo or Alexander. They, they came to birth. We have this spiritual new birth. And one of the problems as we follow God is that we can lose our freedom. We can, we can feel that we were free, but then we lose it again. And Paul is writing to this church, and he says, look, if you want to hold the freedom that God has won for you, you need to do a few things. So I want to just unpack these things. The first, uh, he says, Paul, in this passage, is if you want to be free, um, you know, be a bit like an elephant. Uh, what do I mean by that? He says, uh, remember what God has done. Always remember what God uh, has done. And uh, he says this in verses 13 and 14. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He's taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And what he's alluding to here is Jesus' death on the cross uh, and the consequences of that, that actually Jesus on the cross when he dies takes away all of the stuff, all the barriers between us and God, all the consequences of the stuff we do which separates us from God, and Jesus takes it on himself and he just uh, destroys everything that separates us from God. And he wins our freedom. And uh, this is an extraordinary thing. And uh, Paul says, don't forget that. Because if you forget that, when you've come to faith, as some of the people in this church in Colossae were doing, you'll just end up back not living in the freedom that God has won for you. Because actually, uh, Jesus has done it all. He says on the cross, it's finished. You're loved, you're cherished by God. The, 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 the law that you used to have to follow uh, has been satisfied in him. And so you're free. It's for freedom that Christ has set us free. So... Remember what's happened. Come to Jesus. Remember what has happened, Paul would say. Second, uh, Paul would say, uh, don't forget, as you journey with Jesus, don't forget just the phenomenal power of God. The power of God uh, as you follow Christ. Now, we're a bit power-obsessed, aren't we, as people? And, um, you know, there's lots going on at the moment. It's all about power, you know. Uh, Boris Johnson is vying for power, isn't he? Hands up if you want Boris Johnson to... I'm only joking. <laughs> Just checking you are still awake. Who's for Boris, against Boris? Let's not do that. We'll have a big fight. We can't have a Brexit. We can't have a Brexit battle right now. But, you know, there's a spat, isn't there, between Donald Trump and uh, Sadiq Khan at the moment. Have you seen that on Twitter? And they're sort of... There's this sort of... And the Spice Girls played their last gig in their run last night, Girl Power. But actually, um, go, go girls. But actually, um, actually, when we come to faith in Christ, stand in his freedom and relationship he offers us, 
we, we are caught up in this phenomenal power of God. It's a phenomenal power of God. And um, actually, Paul reminds the people of this. He says in verse 15, Having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Now, if you look at Jesus on the cross, it doesn't look very powerful, to be honest. He's dead. Um, And what the Roman authorities used to do in that time, in the absence of Facebook or Twitter or Instagram, to show how powerful they were, they couldn't just post up pictures or you know, tweet and tell everyone how many people they killed. What they would do is they would go fight a battle, win, and then bring back the people they'd taken captive and parade them through the streets of the city. They'd often been tortured and mistreated. They were chained, and they would bring them through the streets of the city. And the person at the very back of this sorry line was always the king of the country they'd just defeated. And uh, they put him at the back. They'd bring them into town. Everyone, "Ah, you're so powerful, you're so strong. And then in front of everyone, they'd execute the king just to show how uh, powerful they were. And actually, this is what's happening to Jesus on the cross. You know, he's crucified under a banner that says the king of the Jews. And there's a a public mocking of him. And uh, basically, they don't bother taking him to Rome to crucify him. He's not a military commander, but they're they're trying to just show Rome how powerful they are. And uh, what's weird is Paul says, on the cross, the Romans didn't show their power. But God, through Jesus, did. He's disarmed the powers and authorities. He's made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. So the cross is a place of power. And you know the story. Actually, God raised Jesus from death back to life. Such was his power. We celebrated that at Easter. And he's turned that situation around. And what's, this isn't just sort of church talk or interesting theology. Actually, the Roman Empire is dead. It's long gone. But the kingdom of God is advancing and growing in power. So these words are true. And when we come to faith in Jesus, God's spirit comes and lives inside us. God's uh, presence comes uh, and lives inside us and is active in our lives. And Paul writes elsewhere, the spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you and me. And just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by the same spirit living within you. So we mustn't forget the power of God at work in our lives as we follow Jesus. And to be honest, do you walk around going, I feel the power? Neither do I. I don't know where that came from. That was a bit embarrassing. I regret doing that. But, you know, we often limp through life, don't we? As Christians, we don't feel that sort of... But actually, it doesn't look powerful. The cross didn't look powerful. Jesus didn't feel powerful on the cross. But actually... It's phenomenally powerful because his power, his strength is displayed in weakness. And uh, more and more people around the world are coming to faith in Jesus. His kingdom is advancing. It's phenomenally powerful. It doesn't look like it in this country. The church looks boring, long, you know, buried, marginalized. But actually the power of God is uh, advancing. Are you with me so far? How are we doing? Let's just check in. Are we all right? Half time. Oranges. We're all right. Okay. So I'm going to um, just identify 
Paul is obsessed with the freedom that God has won for us, and he's obsessed that we don't actually fall back into being captive, is the point. And what he does in a world, he's, he attacks legalism, uh, this idea uh, that we have to do stuff to earn our freedom or become acceptable to God. And uh, he, he basically addresses that to these Christians. And the reason he's doing that is because they've come to faith in Jesus. They were Jewish, following all the law, all the Old Testament stuff, all the worship stuff. He said to them, you come to faith in Christ. You're free now. You're accepted by God. You're loved by God. You're cherished by God. You don't have to do anything. The law's been satisfied. And now they're lapsing back into the law and their performance. And people have come into the church and say, oh, well, you, you kind of have to do this. You have to do that. You have to do that. Paul is saying, look, you don't have to do anything. Jesus has done it on the cross. And uh, how do you access the love of God, the power of God, the kindness of God? What do you have to do? Nothing, really. You just have to express faith in Jesus Christ. That's it. It's faith in Jesus Christ. You don't have to be really good. You don't have to read your Bible 50 times a day. You don't have to be really nice to everyone, even if you really don't like them. You you just actually, uh, that's the core of your acceptance before God. And Paul addresses this and uh, he he says in verse uh, 16 and 17, don't let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. This is a reference to uh, the, the Jewish people at that time and how they obeyed the law and the regulations for their worship. Paul's saying it's gone. You, you've got faith in Jesus Christ. That's what gives you freedom uh, and sets you free. And uh, he's really, really uh, hot on this. And he says, don't, don't relapse. Don't relapse into being someone who follows the law. And, um, you know, I've got, I've got lots of friends who are in recovery and... Um, you know, one of my friends uh, had an addiction to alcohol, and I've been sort of supporting him. I've a bit of that in my own background. And I bumped into him in town last week, and uh, I said, hey, how are you doing? And uh, he's been free of stuff for about three years. He said, oh, you never guess what's happened. I said, what? He said, I've relapsed. I went, oh, I'm so sorry to hear that. And I said, what's going on? He said, oh, it's terrible. I'm back into all the old stuff. I'm just back into all the old behavior. I've lost my freedom. He looked terrible. His clothes are a mess. And, um, you know, we had a chat. But when we mustn't relapse back into uh, legalism. So I'm going to unpack in five more minutes a few things that help you work out whether you're wrestling with legalism. Okay, I'm going to try and get practical and I'm hoping this will help uh, just identify it. Because who, who, follows, who follows Old Testament law today intentionally? No. Uh, you know, who uh, is going to New Moon Sabbath festivals? No. Who feels legalistic? Uh, me neither. But often, Paul would say it seeps in to our lives and ruins our faith. So you're ready for a few quick things. This is a few self-diagnostic questions I'll end with that you can think about. Am I struggling with legalism? Here's the first. Are you worried about your future with God and whether you're going to uh, be in heaven in eternity with him? If you are, you might be legalistic because actually it's it's all been done on the cross. Your future's secure. Two, how joyful are you? 
Are you, are you full of joy? I don't mean like happy all the time. How joyful are you as a person? Uh, legalism kills joy. I've got a friend who's a counselor. I met her the other day and she said, Mike, you look a bit joyless. I said, really? <laughs> she said, yeah, what's happened? She said, you, you're not smiling. You, you look a bit heavy. And I said, oh, I don't know. And I, and I said, well, what do I do about it? She said, um, you just look, you've lost your joy. And uh, I said, oh, I said, what do I do then? You're a counselor. She said, practice smiling in the mirror every day. So I've been doing that, but it hasn't worked. But, you know, if you've had an encounter with the love of God and connected with God, that's a source of great joy. And if we lose that joy, that, that might indicate you, you see your faith with God as sort of rules or performance, or you've got to do something. Do you score your Christian performance? Do you feel... Uh, oh, yeah. Uh, do you feel bad if you don't read the Bible or pray? You might be legalistic. You might be. I'm doing this monastic thing at the moment. I pray morning, lunchtime, evening, and night. I'm not trying to be super spiritual. Uh, it's based on the Psalms. So I noticed the other day I was feeling a bit guilty. I've only done one out of four. And I felt God smiling at me. And then I did four the next day. And I got into bed. I, I was, It's legalism. It's legalism because it's, it's performance. How's your self-talk? This is a big one. Do you run yourself down? Do you feel like a failure? Do you feel you're not this, you're not that, hopeless? They're all, all they're really good. I'm not like that. They're really, I'm like this. It's legalism because God has accepted you. He loves you. He delights in you. And uh, he, he doesn't condemn you. Do you prioritize being really good and nice or right over fighting for injustice? Is being good or, or being nice or right more important to you than fighting for injustice? Uh, that's what the Pharisees did. Jesus said to them, Woe to you, teach to the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give tenth of your spices, mint, dill, cumin, but you've neglected the most important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should practice the latter without neglecting the former. And are you, here's a, here's, a, here's a final one. Should we wrap it up? Are you critical of other people? And I know in Surrey, we're all really, really nice. We're all really, really polite. And uh, we do all the thing and the Marks and Spencer sandwiches and all that. But, you know, what's your heart like? You know, do you, do, you, do you secretly judge and a bit critical, look down on other people? You bit... uh, it's legalism. Because if you know how God has accepted you, what he's done for you on the cross, how much he loves you, uh, you can actually extend that to other people. If you haven't really experienced that, you can't extend it. So I'm going to stop there. I hope that's given you some food for thought. Just remember what God has done in Jesus.